Hey everybody, what's up? Sagi here. And before you listen to this episode, I just wanted to let you know that the Hacking UI podcast, while we still have a lot of downloads for our podcast, is a legacy podcast, meaning David and I are not recording any more sessions for the specific podcast. So what you can do right now is, first of all, listen to this episode, and second, know that you can find David on thoughtleaders.io, that's his new business, or you can check out my new podcast, which is called The Creativepreneur Show. And you can just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or creativepreneur.show. So those are the two domains that you would be able to find my show, my new blog, my new community. And I hope uh, to see you there. Also, be sure to follow David Tintner and Sagi Schreiber on Instagram. We're both on Instagram. I'm also on YouTube. So you can check out the YouTube channel if you want to check out YouTube. Enough with my talking. Oh, my God. So anyways, I hope you guys, though, connect with me and David on the different platforms after this episode. All right. Make sure to do so because we have so much new content for you. And enjoy, guys. Enjoy this episode. Hello everyone, this week's episode is brought to you by the Side Project Accelerator. The Side Project Accelerator is our very own program where we teach everything we learned while growing Hacking UI from a small unpaid side project to a full-time gig that fully supports us. The Side Project Accelerator includes eight weeks of lessons and assignments centered around our philosophy, which is audience-driven product development. But the program doesn't end there. You get to join private discussions with some of the world's most successful side project entrepreneurs. On the previous batch, we had Tobias Van Schneider, Paul Jarvis, Rachel Andrew, Jeffrey Zellman, and more. And you'll get access to all their recordings from the previous batch. You also become a member for life of a small but tight-knit and extremely active community of side project entrepreneurs. I'm talking about our private Slack group, and members there constantly share tips and ideas with each other, as well as hold each other accountable for staying on track and getting shit done. The Side Project Accelerator is entirely online, so you can sign up from anywhere in the world, and live sessions are recorded, so you can watch or listen on your own schedule. The program is perfect for designers, developers, and other tech-related fields who want to attain both creative and financial freedom. You don't have to have an idea for a specific side project in order to join. And if you already are working on a side project but haven't yet figured out how to scale and monetize it, then the Side Project Accelerator is perfect for you. You can learn more about the Side Project Accelerator at hackingui.com slash sideprojects. And since you're already listening to our podcast, we really appreciate your support. And we are giving you $100 off the price for the Side Project Accelerator by entering the discount code podcast at checkout. That's just the word podcast. But there's one small thing. Registration is not open yet. The next batch of the Side Project Accelerator will start in mid-October. And you can join the waiting list to be notified when the registration does open. When it does, you'll be able to use that promo code to get $100 off the next batch. So again, that's hackingui.com slash sideprojects. Join the waiting list and you'll be able to use the code podcast to get $100 off signing up when registration opens. All right, let's get into the episode. Hello, hackers. Thanks a lot for joining us for another episode of the Hacking UI podcast where we hack our way through design, development, and entrepreneurship. I'm Sagi Schreiber. And I'm David Sittner. We're your hosts, and today's show is a special show for a couple of reasons. First, this is the first episode of the series of Scanning a Side Project, where we're interviewing designers, developers, and creatives that have built and scaled super successful side projects that we admire. The second reason that today's show is special is because we recorded it in San Francisco, and even more so in our guest's podcast recording studio. Yeah, our guest today is the owner of not one, but a network of multiple podcasts that just hit the mark of 5 million downloads. Talk about scanning side projects. Ladies and gents, it's our pleasure to bring you the one and only Bryn Jackson, co-founder of SpecFM, which features the popular podcast Design Details, Developer T, and others. Today, Bryn is also in charge of building a community over at Figma, a new design tool that seems to be gaining massive popularity over the past few months. So, D, are you ready? Hell yeah. Let's get hacking. Cool. So, Bryn Jackson, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> Thanks for having us on your show. I mean, right? on our show <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so, for those of you who are hearing, we are in Bryn Jackson's studio 
it's an amazing studio, <laughs> fully amazing geared. Studio. I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna actually try to take pictures and, and kind of do that. <laughs> Go for it. That's fine. All right. <laughs> I already told Sigi as soon as we get back to Israel, we're buying everything in here. This is an unbelievable studio. We have to show some Thanks, pictures. guys. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're like our podcast that you're hearing right now is the poor version of anything that <laughs> has to come out of this studio. But um, we are very, very happy to being able to talk to you. And thanks, thanks. so much for having us. So today we are doing this. I think that's like the first kind of episode of Hacking UI podcast that we are talking to someone not about scaling a design team and design management. Perfect. I know almost nothing about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're going to talk to you about scaling side projects. Okay. I can talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So how about before we begin, just like if you can give a bit of background about where you come from, like how you started out and I'm until now. Cool. So I'm Bryn Jackson. I'm actually from Minnesota, which is in the Midwest of the US and it's just the worst place. It's super cold in the winter and it's super hot in summer. It has like the widest temperature variance in like the northern in North America, I think. It's like right I, in the center. It's ridiculous. Wow. Uh, when yeah. I lived there for three years, that was like just an experience of three years. I think it was amazing. But more of that, yeah, more than that. So like, you moved to San Francisco for all the good weather, right? I did. It's like an air conditioned city. It's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I lived in Minneapolis before I moved out here. Previously, I lived in like rural Minnesota, which is terrible, hmm. even more terrible. And then I got my start at a printing company. Like I went to school for audio engineering. I didn't really like deal with design that much. I took a couple of design courses or art history or whatever. But then I dropped out like three and a half years in or something like that. I was like a semester from from finishing up. I got all the geniuses do, huh? All the geniuses do. I wouldn't, I don't know about that, but I got to teach a few classes on recording my last semester and I was like, well, what's the point of me still being here? So I dropped out. I took some courses from Berkeley College of Music, which was a bit more advanced on the music side. Like Minnesota is not exactly known for music outside of like Prince. We had a studio that Nirvana recorded in utero at, like that was like our entire claim to fame was Prince in uh -huh. utero. That's about <laughs> it. Maybe Bob Dylan. So I took courses from Berkeley College of Music, which is in Boston. It's like the Harvard of music, which is funny because it's right down the street from Harvard. And <laughs> nice. that was about it. So I, I just completely bailed on it. I worked in studios for a little while, putting together computers and fixing old equipment, fixing mm -hmm. a lot of old Mac Pros. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, I went into IT. So I ended up being a professional Mac fixer wow. uh, for a large print company. And I kept getting these calls over and over about the same problems being broken in software. So I started trying to design solutions for them and eventually someone at one of the like sister companies or one of the subsidiaries hired me as a UX designer. And that was like my first design gig. Very Amazing. cool. And that was in Boston still? That was in Minnesota. Okay. Sorry. I, I didn't Minnesota. actually go to Boston. I just took courses from the school. So a lot uh, of it was online. Okay. Amazing. So that's now like it tells a lot about what you do right now because we are here in your studio, fully geared up. You got the <laughs> server, like you got the server over there, like with an incredible setup. You got the mics and everything for the sound. So you got like the sound uh, and the IT going on and your podcasts and uh, most of what you do is all about design. Yes. Um, and recently you joined Figma. Yeah. So when I got out here, I worked for a company called Shop Savvy and a guy named Jeff Broderick in particular. He was the person who hired me out here from that print company. The print company had decided they no longer wanted a designer, like they couldn't quantify having a designer when they were losing so much money because it's a print company in like 2005 2006 so they sent me out here to, to adobe to take analyst courses and i was like all right fuck really? this so i i called up jeff or i hit him up on twitter i think and asked him if he'd be down to grab a beer and uh we went out to grab a beer and then hung out till like 2 a.m watching game of thrones like <laughs> it, it does it to you yeah. yeah. So it was ridiculous. And he hired me out here a couple months later after I did some freelance work for them, just kind of like see if it was a good fit. And then most recently, I was at a political news startup called Sidewire, where I led the design team, got to build, I got to hire another designer and lead some of the front end engineering stuff as well. And then I left that to do spec full time. And then Figma picked me up, which was <laughs> a fortuitous coincidence. A hell of a ride. Very cool. Yeah. Very it's cool. been, it's been interesting. <laughs> so let's go back to the, to the early days of spec. How do you get started with spec and what drove you to begin this project? Okay. So like the early days of spec, frankly, isn't that long ago. We actually started spec last April. We mm -hmm. started design details January 5th of last year. So really, it's that, it feels way like, you know, more... we've done 160 episodes. Wow. Yeah. 158 came out. Maybe I don't remember which number came out today, but or yesterday, I guess. Well, <laughs> Time flies on recording podcasts. Huh? So we were doing two a week which is just insane. I don't know if we'll keep wow. doing that, but we have been for a little over a year now. So they cool. really fly through them. But 
it came together because I was using this blog called Design Details by my now friend Brian Levin for research and like using it to compare the patterns I was designing versus other people's and like learning from people who'd done this thing before, like done the job better, done it previously, whatever it was, just wanted to like see what other people were doing. He was breaking down every little piece of UI into single interactions and making videos out of them. Yeah, I was was following like design details for a while. It was amazing. I didn't know it was him though. I'd already met him and I had no idea that he was the person who made this blog. So I met him at a GitHub party when I was trying to show off another side project to Mark Otto. Do you guys know Mark Otto? Yeah. He's the one from Bootstrap, right? Yeah. So he and uh, Jacob Thornton created Bootstrap together at Twitter, took that and made it this whole giant thing. So my friend Michael Schultz and I, who I ended up hiring at Sidewire, built this tool for Twitter called Privatize. And it would let you make a link. It, It would create a short link. And then, so you couldn't see the URL or anything. And then you would tweet it out. And whoever you mentioned in the tweet could open that link but no one else. Oh, very cool. So we wanted to show Mark this thing. It broke down completely when we showed it to him. Like <laughs> he ended up being logged in as the engineer that was building it with us. And like, just, it was terrible. <laughs> but I did meet Brian and his now roommate, Matt Leonard, who I also hired at Sidewire um, <laughs> at this event because we ended up in the same tour group somehow. So Mark gave us a tour of GitHub. This is shortly after he joined GitHub, I think. And we just ended up in the same tour group and the rest is history. Kind of. Yeah. So I ended up running into Michael and Brian together at lunch one day. And I told I was basically just like gushing about this blog I was reading and like how helpful it was. And then Brian's like, oh, yeah, that's me. I'm like, interesting. Amazing. So I DM'd him later the same day asking him if he ever thought about making a podcast. And it just kind of went from there. Very cool. 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 And that was before you ever had like a podcast, right? Yeah, I'd never done a podcast before. I wasn't really interested in it. I was just I was particularly curious about the thinking behind these interfaces as opposed Mm -hmm. to the actual interfaces themselves. Like how do people process things? How do people feel about how their users interpreted their work? Things like that. Okay. So you just wanted to basically open this podcast in order to get like a glimpse of the behind the scenes Mm -hmm. of design processes, right? Yeah, more or less. Okay. And and then like, because right now in spec, you have a few podcasts going on. So how did it evolve to being like more podcasts? So we... When I reached out to Brian, he had this statistic of if you make it past eight episodes, you're pretty much good. Like most <laughs> most podcasts fail before eight episodes or something. Really? I don't know where he came up with that stat, but he did. I think I heard Tim Ferriss say that too. That might yeah. make sense. That That's a very Brian thing. Um, so he's like, okay, we got to get eight episodes lined up beforehand. We ended up only getting five lined up beforehand, but we had like 128 yeses before we shipped the first episode. So we're like, okay, we can make this happen. 128 cool. yeses? Yeah, people had responded yes that they would talk to us on the show. Wow. Okay. That's, so that's a essentially guest for the show. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we're like, okay, this is this shouldn't be a problem. We'll just do the things. So we got five episodes recorded, shipped it out January 5th. The same day, another podcast called Developer T launched. Now, Developer T was basically like we were chasing each other up and down the charts for the next month or two before we even started talking to each other. Uh, we'd always just see each other like one or two below each other <laughs> on iTunes or on Pocket Cast or whatever. Yeah. And so we started talking to each other. Someone from Mankato actually put us in contact with each other. Mankato is the town I grew up in in Minnesota. He actually worked at the same printing company that I had worked at. And he commented about the both of us at once, <laughs> like on Twitter. And so that's how... Jonathan, the host of Developerty, and I got in touch with each other. And then he helped us switch over our hosting for like our podcast files. And we helped him sell advertisements. So we just started working together a little bit. Cool. And eventually we decided to make it a thing. We we're like, okay, you're really good at this growth thing. Huh. We're not great at that, but we're really good at selling uh, sponsorships. So we mm-hmm. just kind of joined forces and started shipping new podcasts. Sounds amazing. And so that was Developerty, and you got another one in the network, right? Uh, we have nine, actually. Nine? Yeah. So we have Design Details, Developer T. Uh, Immutable. Those are the two that started. And then Immutable is one that I host. We had one called Vicarious that we just shut down. Mm-hmm. We just added a new one called Layout. We've got oh, one. F- I know that. But Layout is Rafael Conde, no? Yeah, Rafael Conde yeah. and Kevin Clark. Right. Um, I love this guy. I met him in Paris. So. They're fantastic people. Yeah. Stoked to have them on the network. 
So those are like the the design side ones. But mm-hmm. then as far as developers, we have, of course, developer T. But then we have Runtime, which is for iOS developers. That's mm-hmm. hosted by Sam Sos and Caleb Davenport, who are both incredible, incredible developers. Orthogonal, which is hosted by my accountant and his friend who's a freelancer. And it's about the back end side of freelancing. So like all that goes into it, the legal work, the accounting work, the marketing, whatever. Does not compute, which mm-hmm. is for like front end developer types. And then Fragmented, which is for Android developers. Cool. So, and then on top of that, we have three blogs, uh, which are <laughs> awesome. Which other blogs? Little Bites of Coco is one. That's by Jake Marsh, who was my first developer here in the city. I'm my first iOS developer. Cool. And then the Design Details blog, of course. Mm-hmm. And I started one myself recently called Specifics, which cool. is resource guides. Amazing. So let's talk about maybe the strategic decision to grow like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm actually pretty curious. So what does it mean when a podcast is on your network? What are you actually doing for them? Are you producing the show or what are you providing? What so it? until layout, we have edited and produced every single show. Once a podcast joins the network, we do all the editing work. Actually, our producer, Sarah, does all the editing work. She sells sponsorships for people. We kind of cross promote. We just kind of help each other out. This is amazing. It sounds like you're putting the people who have the content, the thought leaders in a place to deliver that content. You're taking care of kind of the all the stuff that uh, the obstacles that keep people in the way of good people in the way of producing podcasts or producing content. Yep. So the whole goal was just to enable the smart people we're around all the time to help other people. So it's it's always been about helping designers and developers level up. So we're like, well, what's the best way to do that? Put talented developers and designers in front of them. Like amazing. Just enabling that. Amazing. And we'll be sure to put all the podcasts and uh, blogs and the show notes. Appreciate that. Anybody of you who hadn't kept track. So We've been through the spec story. Well, actually, Brent, so one thing, we know we've only known each other just real quickly now, Mm -hmm. but I've already gathered from you that you like working with your friends. Yeah. And and, um, uh, I hear, you know, you mentioned you're hiring, the the accountant is now doing a podcast and you're hiring your friends at Sidewater. So can you talk about that a little bit? I find that when I work with someone who suits me particularly well, when we are particularly efficient and effective together, there's no point in not working with them at any given point. So if they're open to working with me, I mean, going to like scoop them up or partner with them in whatever way I can, because what matters most to me is the outcome. And if we're good at making a good outcome together, I'm just going to go after that as hard as I can. Very cool. I can totally relate. Siggy and I became friends actually uh, in uh, two startups ago, and then we wanted to stay together and do a side project together. And I totally relate to that, trying to work with your friends. And especially when you find people that you click, like you said, it's not so uh, common. You need to hold on to those people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I try and find people who are particularly suited to whatever the project is. So I'm starting a new video series on spec called Constructive with Marshall Bach. He works at YouTube, so he's particularly suited to video. We're doing some pretty cool interaction and editing with that stuff. So it it just made the most sense for us to to work together on that stuff. Very cool. Very cool. So in terms of like growing that network, right, and Mm -hmm. working with the people that on all these verticals. So do you not find it like hard to get them to work on those verticals. I mean, uh, David and I also work with our friends. We have Hacking Revenue mm-hmm. that we opened, which is a, a blog, which is kind of like Hacking UI. We just said, okay, here's our template. Here's all the tools that we built. So we're working with them, right? It's very fun to work with your friends. It's also time consuming and yeah. sometimes, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. So how, how do you manage that? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I just kind of keep moving i i can't say i've been bored in the past couple of years i've always had <laughs> something on my plate to do can you give us a breakdown of your time like how much you're spending on each thing in addition to having you know a full-time job basically <laughs> yeah that's that's interesting design details takes about four hours out of my week we record for about an hour and a half on a given night and we do that twice a week and it probably takes a little time beforehand whether that's maybe like a half hour or so and then a little time afterwards as well so Depending on the week, it could be six hours, it could be two hours, it could, we could just like get right to business and get the thing done. Mm-hmm. Or it could be like they decide to stay here the whole night and we just hang out. <laughs> um, it, it depends on the day. Immutable takes, I don't know, 20 minutes per episode. It's, it's like 15 minute long episodes. So we record a bunch at once all in a row. And so that's like once every three or four weeks. Okay, cool. So pretty simple. The full-time job... Uh, a San Francisco full-time job is different than a lot of other full-time jobs, uh, especially a startup that is like gearing up for launch. So I spend probably 60 or 70 hours a week on that. And then Brian and Sarah and I work all weekend, every weekend on building new tools for 
our websites or we're working on a community site together. We're, we're building a bunch of other stuff. So that's like all the administrative stuff or the engineering side of building these products continuously. Okay, cool. And that brings me to the point which we talk about with the people that we are, uh, that are on our side project accelerator. And that's the point of being technical. And mm-hmm. I see that you have that going on. You're technical mm-hmm. also in hardware, also in software, also like, you know, everywhere. all trades. Yeah. Like. <laughs> master um, of none. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, Tobias Ben Schneider says, master of some. But yeah, but no, it's it's amazing because we preach about like being able to know the technical stuff. And other people push back on that and say, no, I mean, I can't possibly know how to develop it's, stuff. It's but. should designers code, right? Like this exactly. conversation yeah. we constantly have in our industry. It's, it's okay. Should designers code. My favorite answer, I cannot remember who says it. Ah, this is bad. I can't attribute it right now. But the answer that I was given was only the good ones. <laughs> the best yeah. ones know how to code. If you know your platform well, you can pretty much code. You, you can at least read the code. You, you know what is happening. Mm-hmm. If you know your platform well, you understand the code anyway. So you're just a hop, skip, and a jump from building the thing. Like I can't write Swift, but I can read Swift. Uh, I can work in languages that are similar to Swift. So like I kind of pick up pieces of it, right? But JavaScript, I can code in. Uh, mm-hmm. HTML and CSS, I can code in. I can put together components of, say, like a Gulp streaming app. Or not, I guess it's not an app. Have you guys used Gulp? I, I was actually more of a grunt guy. <laughs> so I moved from grunt to Gulp. Now I hear I have to use Webpack for React, but it's whatever. Gulp is like my best friend. Okay. Uh, I've released two open source projects and one of them was Gulp based and the other I used Gulp to build. So yeah. Very cool. Okay. Cool. Amazing. So, um, but you have like this kind of no fear attitude of just attacking some new technical challenge. It seems like if something needs to be done, it's easy to go learn how to do it. I, I first learned to code when I was back at this printing company, they wanted to launch a new corporate website. I was the designer in charge of it and I could not get the engineers to build what I wanted. So I went and learned HTML and CSS. I went and learned JavaScript and I just built it myself. It wasn't the best website in the world, but it, was, <laughs> it fucking worked, you know? Like, and yeah. that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I want to ask more about, you know, the side projects that you're doing because, mm-hmm. uh, again, like Siki mentioned, we're talking a lot about that lately. Any tips you have for someone who's starting out on a side project now? Have someone else that you're responsible to. Uh, if you're just responsible to yourself, you'll never finish anything. <laughs> saying commit and just make the commitment. And Yeah, I mean, if you commit to other people, that's great. But if you have a partner in it, someone that's like really invested in you succeeding, if you don't do it, you're letting them down then. Mm-hmm. It's easy to let like an audience down or like... Like a mythical kind of figure. Yeah, this w- when, when it's vague, mm-hmm. it's it's not easy to bail out on it. When it's Brian's showing up here to record podcasts or Brian's depending on me to book guests for a podcast... I better fucking do it. Like, <laughs> otherwise I'm like letting him down too. And that's a specific person. It's not vague. It's like, oh, I'm screwing up something else. This person said they would do. I'm, I'm blocking them from doing their thing. This yeah. is a great tip because I think so many people, the, one of the biggest obstacles preventing them from starting their side project is them saying they don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. But we all kind of, we do have time. It's just, you know, in these little nooks and crannies in our schedule that we have a hard time finding sometimes. Yeah. So if you have someone that you're committing to, you know, you don't have a choice. You're doing it. And frankly, I run out of time all the time and I notice myself doing stupid things that I have no reason to do. I am obsessed with comic books, right? Okay. <laughs> Love comic books. Up until recently, I was spending something like $60 a week on comic books. Love comic books. So I'd spend a lot of time catching up on comic book movies that are coming out, even just like rumors and stuff. It was a complete waste of time. I hate it whenever I catch myself doing it because I have other things that I can do that are much more valuable to me even like that's not valuable to me it's just something that's kind of like an addiction i guess <laughs> like i have to know the details of a story when it when it's like coming out but at the same time it also seems like a passion yeah it seems it hurt, it, but yeah, it i'm like definitely it. not as passionate about it as i am about building things i'm not mm-hmm. as passionate about that as i am about helping other people be better so what the hell like it's it's very frustrating it's just like a holdover from a previous life where i had time <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Have you built anything related to comic books or is that something that you may do, like kind of intertwine this addiction, as you call it, with some sort of a side project or some sort of more productive uh, use of that time? I designed a comic book app maybe two years ago. I called it Retcon. It never got built. I wanted to ship it, but what are you going to do? I also built a Dungeons and Dragons app with uh, Sam Sovis that never fully shipped either. Right. Nice. And I want to take us back to your community 
Okay. Building. Yeah. Let's talk about community for a second. Sure. So you grew, you just like passed 5 million downloads on your podcast. Uh, and, right? We're almost seven. Almost seven? Yeah, we wow. get about half a million downloads a month. So what are your tips for, you know, growing a podcast or, or like even... For growing an audience. I right? mean, and I know like you want to say give value. I know like, mm-hmm. like that's probably like the most... That's pretty vague, right? Yeah. <laughs> give <Yeah>. value. <laughs> okay, that's a, easy. <laughs> a, a lot of people say that, you know, but, but we believe in that too. But uh, yeah. how do you really actually, what are your tips for, you know, building that audience and getting the right podcast? We have a podcast as well. This is a podcast mm-hmm. and we would love to learn. Well, how would you build up a product? How would you make a product better? How would you get an audience for it? Listen to feedback right? Build it like a product. We know how to build a product. We know that there is a design phase where you, where you determine what the thing is and how to solve the problem for a group of people. Then you go and build it. So in example, podcasting, that's pretty much the recording side of things, right? It's very technical. Mm-hmm. It's something where you have to have some level of technical mastery over that specific, I guess, substrate, if you will, mm-hmm. and then ship it and then iterate as fast as you can get feedback ask people for their opinion before you build the thing actually the first episode of design details we recorded twice because we showed the first episode to people and it wasn't good enough so we went back and did it over again building things like a product especially for designers developers we know how to do this thing build i mean everything's a product in in some way build things that way but this is interesting actually because it kind of clashes with another ideology about just like shipping especially when it comes to side projects when you don't have a lot of time shipping you know never MVP. looking back yeah but never looking back and just kind of like pushing forward not being afraid not being a perfectionist like getting things out there and, and moving forward i would compare that to a horse with blinders on right it's only looking forward it's not considering what else is happening and sometimes that works in specific types of races right but if it's a marathon if it's something that is an ongoing project you better know where other people are mm. Great analogy. Great yeah. Analogy. And so how did you how did you iterate basically on, on spec and on your podcast? Did you send out surveys? Did you We like, did. Mm-hmm. We we sent out one survey and that was right after we launched our Slack team. We recently actually someone else sent out a, a survey to our Slack team recently and they shared the results and they came back very similar. So we know that things are still moving in the right direction. It wasn't like what do you hate or anything like that. We kind of we we're trying to figure out how we could make it more manageable, more profitable in the first one. We wanted to make sure that it was something that was sustainable for us as people because people on the network, for example, Sam Sophus, he's my favorite example because he charges a lot of money. He's published this very well. Like he makes a certain amount of money per hour. And if I'm not meeting that, then he's more likely to go do something else instead. So sustainability comes down to, for us, making sure that people have the time to do it consistently because it's good for them, right? We have to make it worth their while to continue producing whatever it is that we think is right for them to produce. Right. Sounds sounds right. Community-wise, we didn't really iterate on that too much. We tried some channels out in our Slack team. Mm-hmm. We reduced channels. We made new ones. We reduced them. Like, nothing particular there. The community part kind of just happened, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people still see it as the design details Slack team, even though there's like nine podcasts in there. It's super weird. That's something we're still figuring out, but we're coming close to the Slack cap. There, there's a cap at 8,200 users and we're at about 6,000. <laughs> really? So we have to build our own community site to get off of Slack because wow. we can't pay for it. If we paid for it, it would be over $40,000 a month, wow. which is just not going to happen. Wow. So you're going to build your own community site? Yeah. So we're actually building it with the community. So we're using Figma to build it together because that has multiplayer functionality where mm-hmm. people can actually be in the same file at the same time, or at least all the all the files are together at once because multiplayer hasn't shipped yet. We're, we're releasing that later but it, it's amazing it's super weird it's huh. just ridiculous so it's google doc style editing in a design file it's really weird wow great um, okay. yeah so is that what a sh- i saw on, on inspect in twitch is it like something we haven't we... done it on twitch yet i don't think okay no i was actually watching you use figma and by the way let's talk about i mean i, I want to talk about that for a sec like but okay so iterating <laughs> on design details yeah wise to go back to your question quick before we jump to the next mm-hmm. thing yeah we changed our format a lot. Mm-hmm. We started with prepared questions. We moved to off the cuff. Okay. Brian is really a naturally good asker of things. Uh, he started with very like job interview questions, though. He goes like the deepest first and then comes up to shallowness where mm-hmm. I start with dumb jokes and just <laughs> go from there. Breaking noise. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so my job is kind of keeping the energy up and making sure that we're moving along at a pace because if Brian asks too deep of questions over and over, it slows down. 
So making sure it doesn't get too deep, even although we do want deep content, making sure that the energy stays up and is, is positive. That's kind of my role. And his role is getting like this, the meat of the, the conversation. So good cop, bad cop kind of thing. Yeah, here. totally. Yeah. Brian's always the worst cop. Um, <laughs> David, I think we have that going on as well, right? Usually. Well, wait, who's the bad cop? You're Hold the bad on a cop, second. Usually. <laughs> we also took feedback on quality and bought nicer mics and continually improved what we were doing. We started at one episode a week. We moved to two episodes a week because people were asking for more. We just kind of grew the podcast quickly. We heard that we weren't having enough women or people of color on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So we started, we took a hard turn in that direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, We wanted to make sure that what we're doing is right for all people, not just us. So when we created the podcast, it was more for people like us back in the Midwest people in our situations where they didn't have design communities and we wanted to kind of share the conversations we feel lucky to have with them. And we kind of didn't consider other people. So we made a move to start considering everyone as hard as we could, like be extremely considerate, make sure that we're encouraging everyone to be better. Okay. Sounds cool. And like in terms of like selling, selling and making it profitable, how did you, when did you start accepting uh, uh, sponsorships and how did you do that? We had a sponsorship on our first episode because Brian and I went to a dribble meetup at a company called Weebly and I was half drunk and started talking to one of the co-founders and <laughs> telling them that they should sponsor me because their competitors do. Somehow they did it, which was incredible. And we got to buy nice mics out of the gate without going out of pocket, which is very nice. Cool. Then we launched on Product Hunt. We got a huge amount of downloads the first day which well compared to what we were expecting we were expecting 5000 in the first month we got 6000 in the first day and then went on to have 10000 in the first week wow. and just kind of i was shocked like i did not believe that was going to happen i was super proud of it and we had sponsors hit us up after we launched on product hunt so we just kept telling it so we had like hover hit us up then i think envision hit us up we talked to pixate the next week it just kind of built from there so yeah. what are your tips for someone now with a podcast that wants to, like, let's say someone today opened his first podcast, would you suggest he goes about and looking for sponsors or wait and build that momentum? I mean, today you can even launch a podcast on Product Hunt. Well, if I can, if I can clarify, so yeah, I think really what you're getting into is when you add sponsorships or advertisements to any product that you have, you kind of feel like you're taking away something from the user or the listener mm -hmm. a little bit. At what point do you feel like it's okay to you know, put that in there. So that's a really interesting question. Uh, this is another way we iterated. Originally, all of our podcast sponsorships were mid-rolls. We'd heard that that was the most effective because people won't skip them. Mm -hmm. But you know what? The people who want to skip an ad are going to skip the ad. They're yeah. going to get around it. They're not going to convert. So we put them at the front and the end. Mm -hmm. We'll just let people miss that. If they have any decent podcast app, they can skip the first 30 seconds and they can shut it off when it starts being an ad again at the end. Easy peasy. So it didn't really make us question that. But we always chose sponsors that we thought were the best for our audience. We always worked with people that we used ourselves or people that we had talked to and felt like they had our our audience interest in, in mind. They were always taking care of the people that we cared about, which was the audience. And we didn't price things based on CPM or CPA. CPM is cost per mil, which is per thousand listeners. And yeah, it's nothing. Cost per acquisition is basically like you'll hear audible ones all the time like go to audible.com slash whatever podcast and that'll tell them you came from us and that's how they get paid we tell people to go to a certain link but it's all value-based it's all based on what we think we can provide to them mm -hmm. and what it costs us to manufacture a show and keep our hosts doing it over and over so flat fee you're saying yeah cool yep mm -hmm. Very and cool. and how's it going for you right now, like with all the different podcasts in terms of like your time management, your profitability, getting everyone you know on board with, I don't know, splitting with venues and stuff. Interestingly, design details is the hardest one to sell right now. The others are pretty much sold out, which is really, really nice. Yeah. Is that because the others are more niche? Is, is there a more specific um, kind of product that would fit it? I think it's probably because Brian and I haven't spent as much time reaching out. <laughs> um, Sarah sells most of the ads and there's certain shows where... It's really effective to not have the host doing all the selling, but we started selling them all personally. And that matters a lot to sponsors. If they can talk to the host, if they can get a feel for what the what our opinion of the show is and what we want to do with it, then they can feel good about supporting it rather than handing them off to someone who's saying, here's our ad rates. It's just a slightly different thing. Yeah, I guess the uh, chicken and the egg in that, in that case. Yeah. 
we found ourselves also like I'm you know dealing with should we talk to the sponsors of everything you know hacking mm-hmm. you are related or should we have someone so now we have two people I'm in charge of you know selling um, nice. but yeah but it was like all of us but we found out also that David had a lot of calls with sponsors and trying to fit some custom solution with like tons of value and David you want to talk about that Yeah, just one thing we found was that we would get on these long calls with sponsors and you know try to set something up and a lot of times the long calls and like these long processes just wouldn't close at the end and then some sponsor would come along that just perfectly fits our audience you know one email back and forth boom close the deal nothing like and it worked and they were happy with it and they came back for more and I was shocked I said wait what about you know the long phone call I set up a 30 minute mm-hmm. Skype we had the whole thing and those weren't the ones that were were closing less yeah yeah You'll find that with pros, it takes very little conversation. With people who have sponsored podcasts before, they know the drill. They're just going to ship the thing. They're not worried about it. With people who haven't done that previously, there's like three or four meetings or like a video call or like there's a whole process to get that thing sealed. And it's, I mean, I can't fault them. It's, it's their money. They got to understand what they're getting for it, which makes a lot of sense. But it's, there, there's definitely a difference. There's definitely an understanding in, in certain companies. Yeah. So I want to ask you a little bit, okay, so we kind of got a layout of what you're working with here, what's mm-hmm. underneath the spec umbrella. Where do you want to take it? What's, what's next? What's on the roadmap? So right now we're launching our first video series. We just got our YouTube channel up and running. So we're working on that. We just we got past 100 subscribers so that we could actually get the custom name. So it's youtube.com slash C slash spec FM. And then we're also building our community site that's a really important thing to us because obviously we have to move off of slack yeah. and we're trying to so we described it publicly when, when brian first posted about it it was basically designer news that isn't toxic okay okay so i think most people can understand why people would think designer news is toxic and kind of what we're saying we want to get away from mm-hmm. there was a post the same day that he announced it called men of designer news.tumblr.com you should yeah. go check that out it's You can have examples of why we think it's toxic. I think I saw it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think most aggregators like that. Uh, Hacker News, even Product Hunt, they're built around a specific link mm-hmm. or a specific post that might not be... It's not geared for people getting help. It's geared for people showing off. Mm-hmm. So we Promotions, want, yeah. Yeah, we want to build a thing that is about people getting help, just like our Slack team is. Mm-hmm. Now, Slack has an issue with channels where if you have too many, people get lost. But also, if you have too few, multiple conversations get put in at the same time. So we want to separate out the conversations while keeping the format that is still helpful. So okay. it has to be it has to be real-time chat. It can't be comments because I think comments are built around this kind of understanding that someone might not respond. You don't expect people to respond as quickly with comments, mm-hmm. but you do expect them to respond quickly with chats. So you can feel like you can get help in a hurry. Mm-hmm. So chat is important. We need to keep things separated by conversation so people don't get in the way. That's important. Yeah. And it needs to be built around everyone from juniors all the way up to seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, just getting help with their thing, whether that's like a research project. Like we have people post surveys in there all the time. We have people who are hiring, posting in job listings. That's super valuable to our audience. Like a lot of them are looking for new jobs. Yeah. So it's not like free advertising so much or like spamming as they're actually trying to help our audience, which is fantastic. Cool. So how do you, if I can ask you, how, how do you ask what which of these things, because I, I understand you're really trying to help people and you're really providing mm-hmm. a good service to your audience and your community. And it seems like you're building the community in this direction to really help more and more people. Mm-hmm. So how do you decide which of these things to monetize? Like, for instance, job listings, you can, you know, set up something and start taking and which of these things to let just be part of the community and just be for the audience. So we're going to try not to monetize the community itself in any way. So if there are people listening, What we're monetizing is the podcasting effort itself, okay. right? Listeners are important, but we don't base it on the number of listeners. So it, it does not matter how many people listen. Very cool. This is a cool mentality. So that way you can say you're always providing value and... We're being paid for our service, not for the people listening. Not for bringing more and more people in. Yep, exactly. That's nice to not put your, your motivation in that mm-hmm. uh, direction. Cool. So we'll probably have to monetize the site in some way just to keep it up. Mm-hmm. But we're going to try and do that pretty minimally. So okay, cool. we actually did a job board before. A lot of our sponsors are around hiring, mm-hmm. but that's about it. Cool. All right. So where do we want to take it? We, we can talk about live video because 
you are into live video now with your YouTube channel and it's something that's fairly new in the market as well. Yeah. Um, so it's very interesting seeing the design kind of like a niche, like in that realm of live video. How is it going for you? Well, we had like the laziest Twitch channel ever and it was completely <laughs> unscheduled, but it was nice to have conversations while you're working and to work publicly and kind of, it makes you question everything you do, every decision you make because other people are watching you do it. But there are others doing it way better. Justin Mazel from Code School has an amazing Twitch stream. Allison House has an incredible Twitch stream. There's one called Letter Shop. I think her name is Dina. Alexa Grafera from Principal. I'm sorry, Primaries is her icon set. And Parakeet is the studio she works at with uh, Louis Mantia. Okay. She has a channel where she designs emojis. Like, There's some amazing channels going on. Ours was like the worst of them. It was just that we were working on projects that weren't for fun. In a lot of cases, the projects that people were working on were just like examples for the sake of streaming or just fun projects for themselves mm -hmm. which are cool but when it has to solve a problem i think there are higher stakes and it, it's more meaningful yeah so i think allison house did a bit of stuff that was like a bit more meaningful even brian's even like coding on it like he's designing in code hmm. uh, while he's working so for us it, it didn't do amazingly well i think our channel overall had like 1600 views or something like that it wasn't anything significant and then we moved to youtube which already has something like 800 views like it's and it's only been a month so that's pretty small for most of our shows but video is something new to us so we have no idea like <laughs> we're, we're learning a lot there yeah cool and now you got also um you're doing a lot of video i don't know if live video but video and produced uh, video Figma, yeah right i'm doing a lot of video elsewhere <laughs> that isn't live yeah, it's a learning experience. Yeah, and so we seem to jump into that as well. Uh, we've seen you, you've seen your gear, so it's nice to, nice to see you jump into that as well. It's not a far cry from audio. Like mm -hmm. a lot of the principles overlap. So, yeah. just if there's a problem to be solved, and I think video is the best way to solve it, I'm just going to learn how to do that thing, and it'll be as minimally as possible at first to ship the right thing. Mm -hmm. I'll learn what I need to to make it a high quality product, but that's about it. And then if it's successful, I'll go from there. Cool. I'll listen to feedback. I'll, I'll make the improvements that are necessary. All right. Cool. So, so we talked about your roadmap a little bit for everything you're doing on the side. Mm -hmm. But what about for you personally? It's that, you know, you went back to working in a full-time job now and you have all these. I was only out things. of a full-time job for like a week. So that doesn't really count. <laughs> I think I had three weeks off in between or something like that. Okay. So like a long vacation. Yeah. It was nice. <laughs> but how do you go through this? Like it's, it's a totally different mindset to be, you know, working for a company and working for someone else's company and then doing your own thing and your own side projects. And is that where you see yourself always balancing these things or is there something, a direction that you're going to take your career in, uh, in the future that you know of? I have zero plans for my career, to be honest. Figma hired me because of the work I was doing on spec. They trusted me to be good at designing things for designers and developers. That's exactly what I said I wanted to do when I left Sidewire. It's what I continue to do there. So I get to do a lot of the media stuff that I still wanted to do, but I also get to work on products, small products, big products, whatever, like whatever people need help with, that's what I'm jumping in on. I also work with the community a lot. I get to do a lot of design research and talk to the community, which right up my alley. And it, there's a lot of crossover. There's like zero context switching. They're not the same thing, but they're so close that it doesn't really matter. It sounds <laughs> yeah. like a perfect match. Yeah, it, it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. I'm a huge fan of Figma. I was using it like as my daily driver for something like three or four months before I joined the team, mm -hmm. it was just a no-brainer for me. What did you use before Figma? Sketch. Sketch. Yeah. So I actually, almost every day I was getting probably 15 or 20 tweets asking me for help on Sketch. Like I, I'd spent a lot of time learning it and talking mm -hmm. about it publicly. So people just came to me for help. Yeah. I would say I was probably a more technical user and more process driven. So people asked me how to do a certain process in Sketch. Mm -hmm. And I talked about that a lot on, on design details so people knew. Yeah. As soon as I switched to Figma, it was like obvious that it was the future and there was just no going back for me. Really? Yeah. It's amazing because like I, I'm a heavy user of Sketch as well. I, I mean, just see that you just killed the next month of uh, Siggy's life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it doesn't take that long, honestly. A lot of stuff maps to Sketch. Um, really? The things I miss are plugins. So that is something mm -hmm. I'm working on aggressively. <laughs> um, we actually just launched our first one today, which is integration with Framer. But I, I really want data back in my designs. That's something we don't have built in yet. And part of the problem with that is that we're on the web, right? Yeah. The web is amazing. We get a lot of stuff for free because of it. And we still have the power of something on the desktop like Sketch. 
Mm-hmm. We're using the same technology as they are. We're just doing it more accurately, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. But there's security issues when we start letting people write code against it. The Mac is very sandboxed. The web isn't. Mm-hmm. So making sure that people's information is secure, things like that, is is a lot of work. So that's what we're kind of working on to get the plugins ready. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I mean, I'm just going ham. I'm, I'm working on some things. I've been hanging out at Airbnb with their design team to figure out what kind of things they're doing because they're designing like the future of design systems. It's kind <laughs> of incredible. Right. John Gold just joined the team. Kari Saarinen, Ben Wilkins, they're doing incredible work. Amazing. We have Katie Deal on the show. Yeah, Katie's amazing. Actually, last time I was over there, I saw her. Yeah. yeah, they're just an incredible team and they're they're writing a lot about it too. So yeah. you should go check out Airbnb.design because it's full of amazing like little nuggets of how design systems should work and where the future is going. Nice. So nice. just trying to figure out what kind of data we should pull in and what kind of data we should put out because mm-hmm. maybe visual assets aren't the export of the future. Maybe they're not where we should be going because a picture only communicates in one way. What if it was a data set that is put out? What if it's a JSON document that developers can use as basically a shopping list of components and the variations on them? What if like we're outputting better things, but not like not like Macaw, right? Macaw is writing front-end code and people are opinionated about front-end code. You can't ever mm-hmm. win in that game, right? Mm-hmm. That's I think that's what Webflow is doing too. It's just not a game you can win because people have opinions about it. If you just give them raw data, if you just give them a document that they can use to build their own system, that seems like a no-brainer, right? Like, I think that's where things will be moving toward. That's a very cool concept. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah, this is definitely the issue. I mean, even even with Photoshop, if you can export code or something like that, you're, what you said is so true. The people are opinionated. Any developer is looking at the exported code the designer hands them and says, come on, I'm not using this. This is not Exactly. And if you hand them a picture, they only can see what they think about. You know, like people don't see line height. People don't see padding all the time. People like... There's a lot of details that go into it. They have mm-hmm. to measure against something that might not speak the same language as their code does. Yeah. So is this is what you guys are doing? You're going. Or Don't know yet, but that's something I'm working on based on Airbnb stuff. I'm seeing if it's a feasible thing. Very cool. Uh, it's amazing that also you can be here in San Francisco where everything is happening to see that, learn from it, and implement it. So I don't think it would be possible anywhere else. Like, yeah. We we wouldn't be able to build the thing that people are moving toward if we weren't in the same place as them and watching them do it. It's so true. Every cool. time I come to San Francisco, I, I forget. I go away for a little while and I forget how much is happening <laughs> here. And then you come back and you're just like slapped in the face with everybody. Yeah. Well, so many talented people in such a small area. The common phrase is skate to where the puck is going. If we can't see the puck, if like if we're not around the puck, we have no idea where it's going. But hmm. this, the companies here are the puck. The, the design teams are moving toward the goal. Yeah. So just watch them do it and be there for them. Such a Minnesota analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you. Oh yeah. I was a no, basketball player. I haven't worked in one of those yet. So. <laughs> no, right. very cool. I think that's yeah. exciting stuff and we have to look forward to in, uh, in the future. Yeah. So we have like, uh, yeah, we have a lot of action items. Uh, David, you're going to prepare the studio. I'm going to go learn Figma and uh, yeah. We have Working it publicly. Stuff. It's, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Give it a shot. Yeah. It makes it really easy on you. Cool. So I, I designed some show art in it. I did some illustration work in it for other purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a, a learning experience. All right, I'll give it a go. It's super weird working in front of people. You'll get <laughs> trolls. It's pretty entertaining. <laughs> nice. So, Bryn, looks like you got the dream job going on, side project. It is, it is hard to be fair. Like, <laughs> I'm definitely like talking it up because I enjoy the hard work, but it's super hard. It's not like a cush job by any means. Yeah, of course. But, you know, when you're working hard and like, you know, there's the work-life balance kind of thing. So you got that, uh, seems like you got, you got that figured out. It seems like you have a life and you have an Well, my life job. is more work, so it makes it easy to be <laughs> work, work. Yeah, but, you know, when you build stuff and that's your passion and yeah. then you do that, then, you know, you're having fun, right? Of course. You're I mean, I wouldn't yourself. be doing it if I wasn't. Yeah. So um, any less tips for people starting side projects? Like if you could go back to the days before spec and give yourself like one tip, what would it be? Ship more often. Ship more often? Yeah. I think the only thing I had shipped before spec or before design details, I should say, was that one Twitter project. And that got big for 30 seconds. I mean, like we got featured on Lifehacker. We got featured on the next web and that was about the life cycle of that product. 
but we got to do some cool stuff with it and we we learned a lot if i would have just shipped more often i would have learned way more instead of being like oh this thing is cool but i'm not quite done with it so i'm not gonna release it <laughs> right like yeah get feedback from other people don't keep it internally like just show other people what you're working on and you'll learn a lot about how to give it to more people and how to make it better for them cool Amazing. So, Bryn, thanks so much for having us here in your studio. <laughs> thanks um, for having me on your show. <laughs> yeah, it was a pleasure. We I've actually never been on anyone else's podcast before. So, this is wow, well, nice. We're honored. <laughs> no, thank honor. you very much. This has been awesome. And uh, yeah, really excited for uh, what you've said about the future of design systems <laughs> and everything that you're doing and producing and the awesome content. So, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, you're doing an awesome job. We really love design details, spec, everything that you guys are doing. Appreciate Amazing. it. So keep up, keep up the good work and I'm going to try to use Figma. <laughs> Thanks right. a lot, Bryn. Thanks. Thank you. All right, so that's a wrap. Thank you, hackers, for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can find all the links and resources from this conversation on hackingui.com slash podcast. And just before we go, we want to share with you something that you might find useful. As you know, we are voracious readers and consume a ton of articles, books, podcasts, and videos about design, development, and side projects. We curate the hell out of everything, and each week we send a short roundup email of our favorites. If that sounds like an email you'd enjoy getting, then we'd love to have you join our awesome community, which already has more than 20,000 happy members from all over the world. You can sign up on HackingUI.com. By the way, on HackingUI.com, you'll also find some other cool stuff like the SciProject Accelerator, our eight-week online program in which we teach everything that we learned in the three years working and scaling Hacking UI as a SciProject before we quit our day jobs. And you'll also find our resources page, which reached top of the week on Product Hunt Tech, and our events section, which is filled with conferences and meetups for designers and developers. Hey, D, don't forget the tees, man. We also got some cool t-shirts for designers. Sigi, again with the t-shirts? Hey, I designed those, but, but really, last thing, if you enjoyed this, we would really love to hear from you, either by tweeting at us at Hacking UI or by reviewing the podcast on iTunes. Those reviews really go a long way and help us and even make our day. All right, we'll see you next week, hackers, and remember to keep hacking. Hey, everybody, what's up? So if you enjoyed this episode, I'm very happy, and you're welcome to listen to the rest of the episodes of the Hacking UI podcast. I just want to let you know that this is a legacy podcast, meaning... David and I are no longer creating new episodes for this specific podcast. David and I are working on different businesses now. So just wanted to let you know that, first of all, if you want to catch David, you can check out Thought Leaders. And that's what he's working on, thoughtleaders.io. And if you want to check out what I'm working on, I have a new podcast. It's called Creativepreneur, the Creativepreneur Show with Sagi Schreiber. And you would be able to find that on iTunes and any podcast app and I would invite you to come and listen and that's where I interview people that have built a lifestyle business out of their skills and passions. It's amazing. I interview so many different people that have amazing stories and will help you with your business, will help you with your skills, taking your skills to the next level and achieving higher goals. So if you're interested in that, I'm there, the Creativepreneur Show, and you can check it out also on YouTube and you can also just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or creativepreneur.show. I hope to see you around.